If you have your Bible here today, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at a very familiar passage today. I hope to speak to you on the topic of the vital truth of the virgin birth. As you find your place today, I want to tell you a little story that I heard some time ago about a little boy named Joey who wanted a bicycle for Christmas so bad that he just couldn't stand it. Joey pestered his mama over this bicycle until she got frustrated and just had to bust his bubble one day. She said, son, you've got to understand, times are tough and, and money is real tight right now and it just looks like we simply can't afford to buy you a new bicycle for Christmas. But here's what you need to do, son. Go in your room. And why don't you write a letter to Jesus and ask Jesus if he'll send you a bicycle for Christmas. And so the boy thought that was a good idea, and Joey went up to his room, got a piece of paper and a pencil, and he began writing that first draft. Dear Jesus, I have been a very good boy. Will you please send me a new bicycle? Your friend, Joey. Well, he thought about that and realized that the contents of that letter was not entirely true, and so he tore it up, threw it away, and started another letter. Dear Jesus... I've been more bad than good lately. I pulled the head off my sister's Barbie and I gave the cat a haircut and blamed it on my little brother. Can I still please have a bicycle? Merry Christmas, Joey. Well, he didn't like the sound of that either. It seemed a bit too revealing and so he was discouraged. And he went downstairs. And that's when the mischievous side of this little boy uh, took over, he spied over there on the mantle the family's nativity set and he took the statue of Mary and he ran up to his room with Mary in hand shoved her under his bed and then pulled out a, another piece of paper and began writing and here's what he said Jesus, I have your mother <laughs> if you ever want to see her again make sure there's a new bike at Christmas signed you know who. <laughs> that's pretty good. And I think that that's a, a good icebreaker this morning as we consider the Christ child and Virgin Mary and the vital truth of the virgin birth. You know, one of the central pillars of the Christmas story and Christianity as a whole is the virgin birth. If you were to remove this blessed doctrine... And I submit to you that Christianity would collapse like a house of cards. In fact, for many years, there was no bigger name in journalism than the name Larry King. His talk show was a mainstay on CNN for 25-some years, and this was before they became fake news. But as his illustrious career ended, King, for once, he was interviewed, and he was asked... A question. The interviewer said, if you could ask anybody in history or talk to them, who would it be and what would you ask them? And with no hesitation, Larry King, this man who had interviewed almost every important person from the late 20th century, looked into the camera and he said, quote, I would interview Jesus Christ and I would ask him if he indeed was born of a virgin because the answer to that question would define all of history. Now, not only does the virgin birth 
separate Jesus from other religious leaders. And not only does it divide our timeline between B.C. and A.D., but it is that pivotal event which changed Mary's life forever and gave us Christmas. And I hope today in this message to convince you that the virgin birth is not incidental to our faith, but it's fundamental to our faith. And I can hear what some might say. Oh, you're teaching doctrine at Christmas? Why would you teach doctrine at a time like this? Doctrine is divisive. And I would say, yes, doctrine divides truth from error. And I'd say that lack of doctrine is the reason why we have so many shallow saints that are a mile wide and an inch deep. Friend, it's better to be divided by the truth than united in error. And I can attest that as you know doctrine, it will make your faith stronger, your worship deeper, and your mind clearer. So let's know what we believe and why we believe it. And so I want to explore with you this morning three vital reasons for the truth of the virgin birth. If you're taking notes today, I want you to notice this. Number one, the supernatural mystery of the virgin birth. The supernatural mystery of the virgin birth. We'll read in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he'll be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now the virgin birth is perhaps one of the most maligned doctrines in all of Christianity. Satan hates it. And over the years, our adversary has leveled a couple of attacks against it. He's tried to deny it and tried to distort it. In other words... The virgin birth is attacked by either adding falsehood or by detracting or subtracting the truth from it. Let me note that first there are the skeptics who try to deny it. And they do this because it is a miracle they cannot understand. Thomas Jefferson, our nation's third president, was one of these skeptics. In 1823, he wrote a letter to John Adams in which they discussed religion. 
And keep in mind, Thomas Jefferson, like Benjamin Franklin, was a deist. That is, somebody who believed in God, but did not hold to the inspiration of Scripture. In fact, did not believe in miracles. But here's what Thomas Jefferson said in that letter. He said, quote, The day will come when the mystical generation of Jesus in the womb of the Virgin will be classed with the fables of Greek mythology. When I was in college, there was a professor at UNC Charlotte. I was at Chapel Hill. But there was a professor down the road named James Tabor. And when I was a student, he wrote a book that became very popular and confused a lot of people. It was the book called The Jesus Dynasty. And in that book, he claimed that Jesus was the illegitimate child of a Roman soldier named Panthera who had a love affair with Mary. If it sounds crazy like it ought to come from Dr. Phil or Jerry Springer. Well, make of it what you will. But that conspiracy theory has about as much credibility as Bigfoot or Loch Ness. And by the way, uh, have you heard that Ph.D., a lot of folks have the Ph.D., the doctorate after their name. Uh, Where I come from, Ph.D. stands for post-hole digger. It can also mean phenomenally dumb. And friend, that's what I think a lot of skeptics have done rather than just accepting the Bible as God declares it. So the garden variety skeptic will say something like this. A virgin birth is impossible. I mean, come on. Let's be reasonable. Let's be rational. Let's be scientific. But friend... Isn't that the whole point of a miracle after all? I mean, if we could understand it, we would be God. And furthermore, we wouldn't need any faith to trust the Word of God. If it, if it could be totally understood by a human mind, then we would have elevated ourselves to the very level of Godhood. Why, even little Mary scratched her head in this passage and wondered how she would conceive a baby without the help of a man. And the angel assured her, with God, nothing is impossible. Friend, uh, let me tell you here this morning that you don't have to understand something fully in order to believe in it. In fact, there's a lot of things we can't comprehend, but we accept it without a problem. I don't understand how a brown cow can eat green grass and give us white milk that can be churned into yellow butter. But friend, I like milk and I like butter on my bread in the morning. I don't understand it, but boy, it is a blessing, isn't it? I like what Vance Havner, the old-time preacher, said. He said, quote, There's a lot I don't understand about the Bible. Then again, there's a lot I don't understand about electricity, but I'm not going to sit around in the dark until I do. Friend, you don't have to sit around in the darkness of skepticism. You can put your intellectual pride on the shelf and come to Jesus as you are. You don't have to have it all figured out, but you can come to Him and He'll work on your mind and renew it and get you to thinking straight and correct your worldview and help you to grasp hold of the things that are difficult. Old friend, I've often said that if you can get past Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then friend, you're home free when it comes to miracles. Because if you're God Almighty and you can stand out on nothing, call it all into existence, bring the stars shining, dip your finger down into the Milky Way and get it 
ground, uh, sift up dirt, and create the first man. If you can do that, then I'm telling you, the virgin birth is like finger painting for an almighty God. You don't have to understand it all to believe it all. By the way, faith is not about what you don't know. Faith is about what you do know according to God's Word and the light of His revelation. And what I do know after exploring it for many years is there's enough evidence in creation and conscience and complexity that I don't have to doubt the Word of God. By the way, speaking of Genesis, did you notice there's a wonderful parallel between creation and the incarnation? Remember what Genesis 1-2 says? That the earth was formless and void and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep and the Holy Spirit caused life to come from nothing. Well, just so, we see a parallel to that here in Luke chapter 1 when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and was bringing about life from her empty womb. So there are skeptics who deny it but a second way that the virgin birth has been attacked is through distortion and really the catholic church is primarily responsible here for muddying the water when it comes to understanding the virgin birth and adding falsehood the roman catholic church as you know exalts mary to a high position that is totally unbiblical for example the catholics teach that mary is a co-redeemer and a co-mediator along with Jesus Christ. Well, I have a qualm with that because my Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.5 that there's only one God and one mediator between man and God. It's the man, Christ Jesus. And then they also teach a doctrine called the Immaculate Conception of Mary. I call it the Immaculate Deception because it's meant to deceive and take the focus of Jesus Christ. But what the Catholics say about this is that just as Jesus was born sinless, Mary was also born sinless. But friend, there's not a shred in the Bible to support such foolishness. In fact, there's evidence to the contrary because if you read on in Luke chapter 1 and you go to verse 47 and you look at Mary's praise field prayer her song there the Magnificat in verse 7 she said my spirit rejoices in God my Savior hello only sinners need a Savior right so even Mary was declaring here that the son that she would deliver would one day deliver her from the bondage and the cruelty of sin friend if you have difficulty this morning understanding and accepting the mystery of the virgin birth and here's what I'd say your intellectual pride is too big and your view of God is too small and while the rest of the world will stand tall in their intellectual pride friend I'm just going to humbly bow before the cross in awe and wonder that I'm even saved at all listen to what Max Licato wrote he mused beautifully about the truth, the mystery of the virgin birth. He said the eternal Son of God became a single fertilized egg. Placenta nourished Him. An amniotic sac surrounded Him. He grew to the size of a fist. His tiny heart divided into chambers. And God became human right down to His toes. 
And through a miracle, Jesus entered our world as human, but unlike any human had ever done. Heaven's seed in wound in Mary. Mighty, yet minuscule, He had suspended the stars and ladled out the seas, yet He suckled on a breast. Friend, I'm telling you, it's a great mystery. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, Great is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world and taken up into glory. And friend, the same God who came the first time, He's promised I'm coming again to receive you unto myself. He was a riddle wrapped inside a mystery, inside an enigma. He was born so that we might be born again. He who made all things uh, was Himself made human in Mary's womb. He who was Alpha and Omega limited Himself to just a few letters and a name that is above every name. The name of Jesus. Oh, this Christ child was amazingly as ageless as His father, yet older than His mother. Baby Jesus was the earthly son of a heavenly father and the heavenly son of an earthly mother. If you try to explain it, you'll lose your mind. And if you try and explain it away, you'll lose your salvation. It's a mystery too wonderful. God's inexpressible gift. I'm talking about the mystery of the virgin birth. Am I the only one in the house of God who's excited about that here today? Number one, we see the supernatural mystery of the virgin birth. And then number two, I want you to see also about this doctrine, the Scripture's authority and the virgin birth. Looky here, I have worked myself up into a sweat. Now look what you did to me. Matthew chapter 1, if you'll flip over, uh, just back one book, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through verse 23. This is the angel speaking now to Joseph in a dream. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to make Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Watch this, verse 22 and 23. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So after the angel Gabriel announced the birth of the Christ child to Mary, we notice here in Matthew that the Lord pays a visit now to Joseph in a divine dream, telling him about the supernatural conception of the Christ child. And notice here very carefully how Matthew adds a little editorial insight for his readers as he links the virgin birth to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah and his prediction. In fact, 700 years before Christ, here we have Isaiah foretelling the Messiah's miracle birth. Matthew quotes of that in verse 23. And what that means, friend, very simply, what Matthew is pointing out is that, hey, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. 
And if the virgin birth did not occur, then God's word is not true, nor can it be trusted. But since it did occur, just as God said it would, then friend, you can stake your soul on the word of God. Now, scholars have noted that there are over 300 specific prophecies about Jesus coming and most given 500 to 700 years in advance. Now, let me just give you a rundown of some of these prophecies. We know one, Isaiah 7.14, Matthew mentions it here, but there are several others. I'm not going to go through all 300 and everybody in the house said amen, but here's just a few that pertain to Christmas. What about Genesis 3.15? Did you know that that is the first prophecy of the Bible all the way back in the Garden of Eden after the fall of man? This verse hints at the virgin birth because in it it refers to the seed of the woman. That's a curious phrase because in the Hebrew mind the seed of life belonged to the man but in this passage even here at the dawn of time God said that His Redeemer would be conceived with the woman no help from a man. The first prophecy in the Bible, Genesis 3.15, the Christmas story contained right there. How about Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Genesis 21, 2, and Genesis 49, 10. Those spell out Jesus' family tree in advance, that he would be born a son of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He would descend from the tribe of Judah. There were two prophecies that said that the Messiah would have a legal claim as the royal descendant of Jesse, who was the father of David, Israel's king. You can find that in Isaiah 11.1 1, and Jeremiah 23.5-6. Then there's Micah 5.2. That foretold that Christ would be born in the little town of Bethlehem. Jeremiah spoke about in Jeremiah 31, verse 15, that when the Messiah came, that many children would be slaughtered. And we see that transpire in Matthew chapter 2 when King Herod, the butcher of Bethlehem, killed the newborn Jewish babies and boys under two. And then Hosea, another prophet, revealed that many centuries in advance, Mary, Jesus, and Joseph would have to flee to Egypt to escape the wrath of Herod. And that's fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Now, friend, as you look at these fulfilled prophecies, notice that it would be impossible for these to be fulfilled by human manipulation or even blind chance. How could one choose to be born of a virgin? How could somebody plan to be born in a little town called Bethlehem even though their family hailed from Galilee? How could anyone engineer their birth in such a way that they would arrive at a specific time with a specific ancestry? Friend, only somebody who's outside the constraints of time and space could do this. And I'm telling you, that's only the Son of God who was predicted centuries in advance by the Word of God. Now, so staggering are these fulfilled prophecies that one professor, a mathematician by the name of Peter Stoner, he calculated the chances. He took eight prophecies from the Bible. And he said the chances of these just being fulfilled by random chance, he said, was one chance in ten to the 17th power. That's one chance followed by a one 
with 17 zeros behind it, a number so huge that you and I, well, Google can't even help us count that high. That's Help us comprehend this mind-boggling probability. Peter Stoner gave this analogy. He said, imagine filling the state of Texas knee-deep in silver dollar coins. Then include in this huge number one silver dollar with a red X marked on it. So you take one of those coins, mark it with a red sharpie, and then throw it randomly into the state of Texas. Then he said, put a blindfold on, turn somebody loose, let them wade through the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars, and the chances that on the first try they find that one silver dollar with the red X on it, that's the same probability as one person fulfilling just eight. He fulfilled over 300, friend. I'm telling you, with God, all things are possible. Scripture and salvation stand together. And not only does the virgin birth prove the unique identity of Jesus as the Son of God, but it shows total reliability upon the Word of God. That's why Isaiah couldn't take it anymore in chapter 9 when he started thinking about his entry into the world. He just had to kick his hair back and put his pen down and praise a little bit because they'll call him Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he's coming to a neighborhood near you. Oh, friend, I want you to see today the preciousness of this doctrine the supernatural mystery of our virgin birth. And then the Scripture's authority and the virgin birth. Then I want you to notice also today as we close, the Savior's purity and the virgin birth. Now throughout our New Testament, we have several passages that proclaim that Jesus was perfect and sinless. Write some of these down. First Peter Chapter 1 and verse 19 says that he was like a lamb without blemish or spot. If you flip over, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22 says, He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. Hebrews 4.15 goes on to declare that Jesus was our sympathizing high priest, who in every respect was tempted as we were or are, yet, watch this, without sin. Even when Jesus was put on trial, the people that examined Him said they could find no fault in Him. That's what Pilate said in John 19 and verse 4. Even the Roman soldier standing there at the foot of the cross in Mark 15 looked up at the Son of God and said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, think through this with me for just a moment, friend. If Jesus would have been born of an earthly father and a mother, then what would the result be? Well, the result would have been a human child who inherited the sin nature of his parents, just like every other son of Adam or daughter of Eve. And friend, one sinner can't save another sinner. If I go to the cross to die for you, Brother Clifford or Brother Stacy, it won't do any good because I'm not pure, because my blood is tainted with the curse of sin. The drowning don't need doggy paddlers. They need the Coast Guard. I need somebody who's not drowning in a sea of sin and iniquity to come and save me. 
We know Romans 5.12 said, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread upon all men because all sinned. We needed somebody who was pure and spotless to be born as a man, as supernaturally conceived, so that we could have an all-sufficient Savior. And I hear what some people are thinking. Maybe you've thought this. Well, why did Jesus have to be born if He was God couldn't He have just come down from heaven in glory, radiating with light and clouds and angels and all of that, and started His ministry as a fully formed adult? Well, friend, that wouldn't work either. You know why? Because we need a sympathizing Savior. We need somebody who understands what it's like to have the full register of human experience, to know what poverty is like, to know what the groan of an empty stomach is like. To be rejected by the world and spit upon and called all kinds of evil names. To endure suffering and to feel the sting of injustice. We needed somebody who could take upon all of that curse and through it all be an all-sufficient Savior. You know, another amazing detail about this virgin birth is how God long ago prepared a way to preserve the sinless purity of His Son. When He made the first woman. In fact, science tells us that 15 to 16 days after fertilization, a baby will begin to develop its own blood cells. And here's something else that's amazing. Two days later, that baby will begin forming its own circulatory system. I want to read for you a quote. These are the comments of Dr. M. R. DeHaan. He's a medical doctor who turned to be a Bible teacher. He wrote a book many years ago called The Chemistry of the Blood. Listen to what he says. It's amazing. He said, It is unnecessary that a single drop of blood be given to the developing embryo in the womb of the mother. Such is the case according to scientists. Watch this. The mother provides the fetus with the nutritive elements for building that little body in the secret of her womb. But all the blood which forms inside the embryo forms itself. He said from the time of conception to the time of birth, the infant, not one single drop of blood ever passes from the mother to the child. The placenta, he said, that mass of temporary tissue, better known as afterbirth, forms the link between mother and child and is so constructed that although soluble, nutritious elements such as protein, fat, carbohydrates, salt, minerals, and even antibodies pass freely from the mother to the child and the waste products of the child are passed back to the mother's circulation. But he said this, no actual interchange of a single drop of blood ever occurs. All the blood which is in that child is produced in that child itself. The mother contributes nothing. Do you see where this is going? This is how a mama can have a blood type and the baby can have a completely different blood type. By the way, that puts a problem for the abortionist out there who says, oh, it's my body. No, it's two different bodies with two different organ systems, circulatory systems, and blood types. But what does this mean? It means that because the mother's blood type is separate from her child, then when Jesus was growing in Mary's womb, there was no way for her sinful blood to move over and corrupt 
the sinless blood of the Son of God so that when he was born, he was Mary's little lamb who was going to the cross. And when he went and died for you and me, it was spotless, it was sinless, it was pure blood. And friend, I'm telling you, God set it up long time ago when he formed Eve out of the rib of Adam. He had it in his mind already back then. The process was started and he had it all figured out. All the foresight was there. And God in His wisdom knew a way to bring about His Son so that He retained His deity, took on humanity, and when He went to die for you and me, it was pure and undefiled. Oh, my goodness, friend. Do you see how important this doctrine is to our faith. I want to finish with this. Harry Ironside was a preacher several years ago. He was the pastor at the historic Moody Church in Chicago for many years. And he told a story about a young Russian soldier who had been given a very high responsibility he was promoted up in the Russian army because his daddy was friends with Tsar Nicholas I. In fact, this man, this young man became a paymaster. And what that meant is that he was responsible for distributing all the money from the Russian government to the soldiers. Well, unfortunately, this young man fell into the sin of gambling. And he lost much of the money that was under his management. He knew that eventually his crime would be found out by his superiors and that would mean he would have to go to the gallows. So in desperation, this man began to figure out how much debt was in his ledger. And so he opened up that old-fashioned ledger and he realized that what he owed was so insurmountable that there was no way that he could ever pay back such a tremendous debt. And so in his desperation, he pulled out his pen he dipped it in that quill in the ink and he jotted down one word on the side of his ledger. It was this. It said, a huge debt. Who can pay? Question mark. And then the story is told that that young man decided that there was no hope for him so he got him a bottle of vodka and he got him a gun and he decided that he was going to get himself liquored up enough to where he could pull the trigger because he was going to die anyway once they found out how he had mismanaged that money. Well, as he got to drinking, he fell into a drunken stupor. He lost his nerve, fell asleep, and there he is at his clerk's table. Meanwhile, there's an unannounced inspection that showed up there at those military barracks. Tsar Nicholas himself showed up to examine what was happening with his soldiers, and to just walk through and to check the morale and see if things were being run like the way that they should. And so these soldiers, as they noticed the Tsar of Russia walking in, stood up at attention. Those who were working in their offices put down what they were doing and, and paid their homage and their respect to the Tsar as he came through. He went through the barracks and then he came to the paymaster's office and as he opened the door, he noticed that young man there in a drunken stupor Asleep at his desk. The czar didn't even wake him up, Harry Ironside said. He said the king recognized the young man, looked down at the ledger, saw what had been written, a huge debt, who can pay? 
the czar picked up the quill. He wrote one word. He didn't wake the young man, and he walked out. Well, a few hours later, the young man awoke, realizing that he had not committed suicide. He made a rush to pick up his gun, but before he did, he noticed, he looked down there in the ledger, and something had been written underneath what he had scrawled there just a few hours earlier. It was one word, Nicholas. A huge debt, who can pay? The answer given, Nicholas. First, he didn't believe it. Could this actually be the signature of the king? He opened up the safe, pulled out some documents with the official signature of the king, compared it to what was on his ledger and realized that he'd been visited by the king and the king had decided to cover his debt. A few hours later that morning, a courier arrived from the king's treasury with enough money to pay the entire debt. And friend, here's where this is going. The virgin birth assures that we have a sinless Savior and that Jesus came to pay a debt He did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. When there was no hope, when there was no answer, when the ledger was way out in our favor, a huge debt who can pay? One man stepped forward in the fullness of time and wrote his name Jesus I can pay my blood's good enough I can save you I can forgive you and the virgin birth assures that when Jesus came into this world he was able to say a huge debt who could pay Jesus able to save to the uttermost oh Mary had a little lamb he was sinless, white as snow. Son of God from heaven above for sinners here below. Mary had a little lamb. He was sinless, white as snow. That spotless lamb was crucified to pay the debt that I owe. Oh my goodness, friend. Have you understood the mystery and the Scripture's authority and the Savior's purity today? What a God we serve. What a great gospel we have to declare. As our musicians are coming forward, we're wrapping up here today. Maybe you haven't understood fully how important this is. And now today with deeper level of understanding, you see what Jesus has done for you. Maybe you need to repent of some sin in your life. You're saved and you know that you've made a decision, but... Your ledger's not looking very good today. Maybe you're lost. You're undone without Christ. You don't know Him if you were to perish today. Oh, there'd be a Christless eternity for you. But I pray that as the message has been preached that God spoke to your heart. And if that's true, and you want that forgiveness and you want that fresh start, you can have it today. Jesus can come into your life and change everything, rearrange all that there is and give you life and hope today.